Right, preach the word. That's exactly what I want to do. We, as you can tell, are still working on our sound system. Uh, Greg has gone out of town this weekend, and some of us are trying the best we can. And uh, we hope we have a maybe a professional coming in this week that's going to help us, that knows a lot about these kind of sound systems. I've been doing a little bit back there, and I'm sort of like, uh, well, I'm like a, a kindergartner uh, on the space shuttle. Hey, I bet this button will do something. That's kind of what I've been doing. So Paul and uh, Lori and some others are doing a better job than I, I can do. Three quick things for you just about things going on in our community. Well, let me, let me just say welcome to you guys. I know several of you are visiting because you're, you're from out of town. You're here for the holidays. We're glad you came to worship God with us. And uh, here's just three quick family things. The first one is we have about a half a dozen couples in Albuquerque today. They're there for the weekend to remember and I would like to ask you, I know, I'm positive of this, there will be times during my sermon, as there always are, when you'll, uh, you know, wonder, your mind will wander off, and you'll be thinking about other things. And while, when that happens, I would encourage you to pray, I'm serious, pray for those couples right now. They're at the end of that weekend, they're at the culmination of all that they've been learning, they're at a place where they're going to be kind of making a new commitment to one another, and even if you don't know who they are, I'd like to ask you to pray for them today. Secondly, uh, we have this Wednesday morning, we have an opportunity to go out to the Mescalero Care Center, and there's several churches in town that are doing that on Wednesdays, and it's our turn. We'll meet here at the building at 9.15, and then go out there at 10 o'clock and be here back here by around 11-ish, and it's a great blessing. I'm just so proud and thankful to God for the way that he's given us opportunity to work at the Care Center out there. So proud of John and Rita and what they're doing. They're an extension of Gateway, and they're going out there on Sunday mornings, and they're blessing the people there. I'm so proud of Don and what he does. He goes out there a couple times a month and plays his guitar and plays hymns and worship songs for them. And so a lot of us have had an opportunity to help and bless those people. Any of you that want to go Wednesday morning, be here at 9.15, you can go with us, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. Third thing is, if you look in your bulletin, you'll see that we have a youth minister candidate that's coming, and I want you to understand, this is also the culmination of many, many, many hours of hard work, much prayer, many conversations on the part of our elders with this family and with many other families as well that they've talked to uh, along with this one. And so we want you to meet this family. We want to get your input. This family will be here next Friday, next Saturday, and next Sunday. And so Wednesday night, if you're a teenager or you are a parent of a teen or you want to be involved in the youth work, Wednesday night, please be upstairs in the teen classroom to talk about this weekend and all the details of it. Uh, so much hard work has gone into it. I'm really asking, if you're thinking about maybe we're going to do something this weekend, go somewhere, maybe not, I'm a I never do this. I'm asking you to stay in town. I'm asking for 100% participation from our teens and the families of our teens to meet this family, engage with this family, get to know them, see whether or not this is going to be a good match for our church. And all the rest of you who don't come to those things, please be praying about that. You'll get a chance to meet this family next week. Their names are J.E. and Megan Bundy, Bundy, and they live in Texas. And we're asking that you just still be careful, even though we know their names now, we've made it public, still be a little bit careful on Facebook. You don't have to go find every one of their friends on Facebook that's one of your friends and say, guess what, okay? Just keep your Facebook mouth shut, okay, for a little while longer, and let's see if this works out or not. We don't need to make any uh, more thing of this for them uh, than... than 
needs to be. So, okay, enough said, blah, blah, blah. All right, so here we go. We're going to preach the word, and we are in our series called Redeemer, and we are talking about, we are talking about Ruth. We're in Ruth chapter 3 today, and we, um, I want to give you just, just quickly three background things before we get to listen to this uh, reading of Ruth this morning on our video, but I want you to think about these three things because this is background stuff that's not necessarily where we live today in 2013. Most of us are not farmers, and so we don't go to the threshing floor very often. And so that's one of the things we're going to hear about. A threshing floor was probably a big stone area. It was probably a community area, and I don't know how big it was, but it was big enough for them to bring all their crops, and they'd drop the grain down, and they would either beat it out, or they would have animals walk over it, or somehow they would break it apart. And then they, in the evening time, when the wind was blowing, probably be on top of a hill, most likely, where the wind kind of blows a little harder up on top of a hill, and they would get forks, and they'd pick up the grain. Now, you know, I'm just making this up. I've never done this myself, all right? But they would pick it up like this, and they'd throw it up in the air, and it'd go up, and then the chaff would blow away in the wind, and the grain would fall down. That's what they wanted to keep. So they are getting their harvest, and they probably did this as a community. And after they get done... They're, they're probably not just one family. It's a bunch of families from the community. They're all working on this together at the same time. And afterwards, they're going to have a big barbecue. They're going to eat. To be quite honest, they're probably going to have a couple of cold ones that are going to be there afterwards because they're going to relax. And then they're going to lay down and they're going to sleep on the threshing floor. It's a little weird. Why would you sleep on the threshing floor? Well, because there could be people who might want to steal that that grain or some animals that might want to come along. And so this is their investment. This is their money. It would be like if you had a stack of money and it was sitting on the sidewalk in Midtown. And you're, it's going to sit there all night. What are you going to do? You're going to lay down and go to sleep beside it. You're going to take care of that stack of money. And that's what they're going to do. So that's this idea of this threshing that I want you to just kind of get a picture of a community deal that's happening here uh, at at, uh, in, the, in this part of the story in chapter 3. And then two more things that are a little bit odd. They're a little bit things that we don't normally think of. Uh, one of them is a kinsman redeemer. And you can go look this up if you want to in Leviticus 25 and verse 25. And this would be if, if somebody in the Old Testament, if they got so poor that they had to sell their land. That was a big deal. You don't sell your family land. Land stays within the family. But if you got so poor and you sold it, then a close relative would have the first option to buy it back and redeem it, to buy back, redeem. So they could keep that land in the family. And that way you didn't just have lots of people buying up lots of land and having a monopoly, but you had this equal distribution that had happened when they went to the promised land, that they all, all the families had some land. And so that's what a kinsman redeemer or even a person might sell themselves or their children. You know, if your children aren't behaving, they come in late, you know, it's your curfew, sell them. You know, just sell them off. No, that's an exaggeration. But when they get in desperate, desperate times and they, and they maybe had to sell a child into slavery to be like a, a maid or something, well, a close relative could buy that child or buy that person back and redeem them. That's the idea that we're going to see some of in Ruth chapter 3. And then one more, the Liverite or Liverate marriage from Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 and 6. And this was God's way of providing for women who... If a, a woman is married and her husband dies and she has no children, 
then the law said that that man's brother was to take that woman as his wife and provide children for his brother, to carry on his brother. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're like poking poking your wife. <laughs> You'd have to marry my brother if I died. And we lived in the Old Testament, you know. You better be thankful for me, all right? And yeah, don't forget my brother's bald, you know. He's a... Okay, so... Oh, sorry about that, man. I'm sorry, Mike. I forgot where I was. I just was talking to Amy for a minute. Totally forgot I was in church. So the point is, it's God. It's a weird thing to us. None of that makes any sense to us. We're just like, that's just foreign. And that's right, it's foreign. It's in another country, another culture, another time, another covenant. But it's God's way of caring about women, making sure that they're taken care of. And probably what we're going to see when we read Ruth chapter 3 is kind of a combination of this kinsman redeemer and this liberate marriage deal. Something maybe combining both of them perhaps. It's a little bit of an odd story. There's really some, quite honestly, some strange, some strange things. It's hard to exactly tell what is going on in Ruth chapter 3. Only God knows what these two were doing. Only God does because it doesn't tell us for sure in the text, but we're going to talk about it. Let's pray and then we'll enjoy watching our video today of Ruth, the reading of Ruth chapter 3. God, thank you for your word. And I just, I thank you, God, that you just, you didn't put your word as something that's, everything is without any mess. Thank you that there's just messy lives. Thank you that there's heartache and broken people and compromise and people doing the very best they can in life and to hold on to you. Because that's who we are, God. And I pray today that as we listen to the reading of Ruth 3, I pray that your spirit would sink deep into our heart the things that each of us needs to learn. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Let's enjoy watching. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were, See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. 
You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Evening, Marcel. I love, uh, I love this chapter of the Bible. Partly because it takes some work to figure out. Sorry, sweetie, we've all been there. It's hard to be too. Not easy. I love this chapter of the Bible because, partly because it's, we have to engage this chapter of the Bible. We have to join in and we have to do some thinking. We have to do some learning and some looking to try to figure out what in the world is going on here. And I want to talk to you today about three, about three themes. Three themes today. And, and this is what they're going to be. The themes are going to be the theme of beauty the theme of risk, and the, th the theme of waiting. Beauty, risk, and waiting. And that's what we're going to talk about from Ruth chapter 3. So here's the first one, beauty. And I want us to look one more time here at this uh, verses 3 and 4 and listen to, uh, listen to what Naomi says. Naomi, now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes and then go to the threshing floor floor but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking be sure to notice where he lies down then go uncover his feet and lie down there he will tell you what to do I'm going to tread out onto some thin ice right now and I'm going to do that because this text has pushed me in this direction and I'm asking you to listen with grace, to listen with uh, some grace for a man who's about to speak mostly for a few minutes to women. I don't know what it feels like to be a woman. 
And, and yet I want to speak to you about some of the daily decisions that you have to make. You and I, women and men, we don't think the same. I, I love this English teacher who wrote this on the board. He said, uh, how would you punctuate this sentence? And here are the six words. Woman without her man is nothing. No punctuation. Now, how would you punctuate this sentence? And he gave each of the people in class time to punctuate how would they put commas or periods or whatever they would put. And as you can imagine, here's how most, most of the men punctuated the, the sentence right here. Woman without her man is nothing. That's how men, woman, comma, without her man, comma, is nothing. The women, on the other hand, did a little different. They said, woman, exclamation point, without her, comma, man is nothing. <laughs> wow, we got an amen for that. That's great. I love it. I want to talk to you about beauty for just a few minutes. And I want to start by looking at a very strange passage, a very obscure passage in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 16. Your Bible probably won't fall right open to it. But this is God, and he's going to speak of Israel, of his people, and he's going to speak of them hyperbolically. However you say that word, hyperbolically. I don't know how to say it. He's going to speak of them... Uh, as a woman, and I want you to hear what he says about his woman, Israel. Listen to this. I bathed you with water. I washed the blood from you. I put ointments on you. I clothed you with an, an embroidered dress and put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was fine flour, honey, and olive oil. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your Beauty, because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. This passage where God speaks of Israel as a woman, he celebrates the beauty of his bride. He recognizes that even other nations were attracted to her and subsequently to him. Why? Because of her beauty. God made Israel beautiful. He's speaking of her as a woman because he made women beautiful. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But here, he, look what happens in Ezekiel 16. The tragedy then is this. But you trusted in your beauty. Listen to that phrase. But you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. Israel began to trust in her own beauty. She began to use her beauty, not so that other people would look to God, but she began to use her beauty so that for herself. Now, God created women in his image. 
Go back to Genesis chapter 2. Let us create man in our image. And so he created them male and female in his image. We both reflect his image. And women, listen to me close, women are beautiful. Now think about men for a minute, okay? Men, we reflect part of God's image. And in generalities, I know I'm speaking in generalities here, but men are Typically, we are pragmatic, we are doers, we, we want to fix stuff, we're, we're um, logical. Physically, normally, you know, men are kind of rough and kind of strong maybe, okay, hopefully a little bit. So that's in generalities, that's men. You don't normally hear anybody say about a man physically like, wow, look at that beautiful man. Not very often, but a lot of times you hear people say, look at that beautiful woman. Because women, generalities, are, are more relational and, and, and more intuitive and, and more sensitive, more emotional. And physically, women are beautiful. Now, I understand that there are, in our culture, and no matter what culture you're in, it's different. But in our culture, people are going to say, well, some people and some men and women are more beautiful than others. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about comparing one woman to another woman. I'm saying God made women beautiful. All women. They reflect his beauty. That's one of the things as a woman that you get to reflect of God's nature. God is beautiful and you get to reflect his beauty. And people, people are attracted to beauty, aren't they? I mean, you look at pictures. People don't hang up, typically anyways, ugly pictures of, you know, something horrid and awful. You know, you don't go to somebody's house and you're like, wow, I really like your picture that you got there of a snail being stuck, you know, stepped on and squished. You know, wow, that's really, that's not beautiful. You know, but you have pictures of butterflies. Oh, that's beautiful. Or sunrises and sunsets and mountains and no pictures of Lubbock, not in my house, sorry, but, uh, you know, we're attracted to beauty, okay? And so, so what I'm saying is this, people notice beauty, it influences people, and you as a woman have influence on people. And one of the things I want to encourage you to do today, or not do, do not downplay your beauty as a woman. Do not do that. You are a woman, so embrace your womanhood. Embrace your beauty. And whatever influence that has on anybody around you, use it for God's glory. Now, you might say, well, wait a second, I thought the Bible said... We're not supposed to think about outside beauty. I thought the Bible said, forget about outside beauty. We're just supposed to look at the inside. And you might have got that from the Bible, perhaps. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. In the same way, you wives should yield to your husbands. And then if some husbands do not obey God's teaching, so we're talking about someone maybe who's not a Christian. Some of you may have husbands that aren't Christians. They'll be persuaded to believe without anyone saying a word to them. They'll be persuaded by the way their wives live. Your husbands will see the pure lives you live with your respect for God. It's not fancy hair, gold jewelry, fine clothes that make you 
that should make you beautiful. No, your beauty should come from within you, the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit that will never be destroyed and is very precious to God. I don't believe God is saying here that you should avoid being beautiful. I think he's encouraging us to make sure that the inside is more important than the outside. He's not encouraging us to deny the fact that women are beautiful, but we've all met women and people who were beautiful or attractive, and after knowing them for just a very short time, we found out they were actually very, very, very ugly people. And no matter what they looked on the outside, it went away because they're ugly. God is saying, don't trust in your beauty. Don't trust in your outward beauty. Make sure the inside matches with the outside. Don't be a woman who says, look at my beauty. I will get attention or I'll get what I want because of my beauty. That's what 1 Timothy talks about. There's a warning here about beauty. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by good things that they do. Now, most, of, most churches throughout history have responded to this scripture by making rules. A long, long time ago, in the far past, there was very prudish rules about covering all the way down to, you know, your wrist and all the way up to your neck and all the way down to your ankles and keeping your hair up. And even in the recent times, when I was a kid, I remember that the rule in our youth group was girls could wear shorts as long as they're, they weren't above their fingers. Like you stand like this and the shorts couldn't be up above your fingers and so it's funny to see girls always standing like this, you know. <laughs> We've got away from rules, from making rules at church about the way women dress. And I'm going to tell you my personal opinion is that that is healthy. That is very good to get away from making rules. But each woman has to make a decision each day about what she's going to look like. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you have to decide, what will I wear? What will I, how will I present myself? Now, of course, the opposite response to being modest is just to be immodest and make sure everyone knows everything I've got. And that they see that, and then I'm not a woman, okay? So I don't know, but I can imagine that there, are, there, there, is, a, there is a rush when you get noticed. That when, that you realize, wow, that guy's attracted to me. Wow, he's, he's looking at me. They noticed me. And that there is some kind of rush and that there is something that in that that tempts women to bring glory to themselves. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to be modest. And, and let me, let me before I, I got four things I want to encourage you real quick, but before I say any more, let me say that we, we don't make rules. And you know what we've also done by not making rules at church? We quit talking about this. 
It's kind of quiet in here. Like you could hear a pin drop and you guys are actually not asleep, okay? And so it's like everybody's like sitting up going, what? he's talking about the way we look. He's talking about beauty. He's talking about our clothes. It's because we quit talking about this for some reason. And we don't need to not talk about it. And I'm not here, I'm gonna give you these four suggestions, but I'm not the boss. The Holy Spirit is the boss. And I hope that what this does is not lay down, well, here's what we do at Gateway. I hope what this does is create conversations between women at this church I hope it creates conversations between you and your husband. I hope this creates conversations between mothers and daughters to talk about this subject. That's what needs to happen. And then let the Holy Spirit guide you as you, here's the four things I'm gonna suggest. You be modest, number one. Number two, you do not downplay your beauty. Embrace your beauty as a woman. Think about number three, the inside more than you think about the outside. And number four, use the influence of your beauty for God's glory. Now you gotta figure out how to do that. You're the women, I'm not. I don't have to worry about being beautiful, see? Okay, not a problem for me. So you gotta figure that out. How can you use the influence of your beauty for God's glory? And I believe with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can do that. Because I believe that's what happened in this story of Ruth. Back to the story. Made it through that. Okay, so back to the story of Ruth, Ruth chapter three. Is this something sexual that's going on? Because this text is sexually charged as far as I'm concerned. Get yourself beautiful. Go when it's dark, when nobody can see. Go and uncover something of him and go lay down beside him. And then he doesn't want anybody to know afterwards. Don't let anybody know you were here. There's something sexually charged about this text. And this is my opinion, and there are a lot of opinions about this text. I'm going to tell you my opinion. I believe that Naomi sends Ruth with the plan of this being a sexual encounter, or at least the possibility of it. Remember, we are two desperate women. Desperate situation. So let's use your beauty to get us out of this desperate situation. We could die. We don't have anybody to provide for us. And so make yourself beautiful. Go to the threshing floor and go to lay down beside Boaz and see what happens. And that brings us to the second theme, and that's risk. Because that's what happens is she takes some big risks here. Chapter three, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits and went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile, Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. I want you to be, I wanna be crystal clear about this. Ruth proposes marriage. Naomi didn't tell her to do that, but she goes and she lays down beside him and she proposes marriage. That is a huge risk. She already took a huge risk by going to lay down beside him, by making herself beautiful and laying down in the dark beside a man who who knows what he's gonna do. He could take advantage of her. This is the reason I'm saying it's a, wedding proposal. Back in Ezekiel 16, God and Israel. Later, he says, God says, I passed by and when I looked at you and I saw you were old enough for love, listen to what God says to Israel. I spread the corner of my garment over you. 
and I covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. Ruth says to him, spread the corner of your garment over me. Be my husband. That was a huge risk to ask that question. And this is what Bill Heibel says about these kind of things. He says, eventually, you will have to make the big ask, A-S-K. You will have to make the big ask. And what is he talking about here? Well, with Ruth, first of all, she uses her beauty as a woman to appeal to his physical senses, but then she changes the plan and she appeals to his character. She's realistic about the fact that he's a human and he's a man and he'll be attracted to her, but then he, she changes and she appeals to his character as a good man. And that's still possible for you women today. You teenage girls, do you know how many guys come to youth group and the only reason they come is because you're here? Do you know how many guys have gone to youth group and that's why they started going because they wanted to get to go out with that girl? You need to admit it and acknowledge it and say, yes, I'm a young woman. I'm beautiful. I'm attractive. Guys want to come and go out on a date with me. Yes. And if they come to youth group, you may not go out on a date with them, but they may hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may not get a boyfriend or a husband, but you may get a brother in Christ that has eternal consequences. You single women in our church that get asked out on dates, you can have this kind of influence. You can have this kind of influence. I know one woman in our church that's single, and she's told me when a man asks her out on a date, the, I mean, the very first thing she tells him, either before they go out or on the first date, is if you want to date me, you'll have to go to church because I'm not messing around. <laughs> she's not messing around for one thing, but she's not messing around with anybody who isn't interested in God. She's making it crystal clear right up front. I'm going to make it crystal clear. This is the kind of woman that I am. And you can appeal to men's good characters. Now, all of us in our life, whether we're men or women, you may have some person you're attached to. Maybe it's a hobby or work or some personality that you, you guys are connected as friends. Or you have a common cause. And they know you're a Christian. They know you're a Christian, sure. You're salt and you're light and you're subtly influencing them. But there comes a time for what Bill Hybels says is the big ask, A-S-K, to bring up God and ask them, how is your relationship with God? Or would you like to study the Bible? Or would you like to join me in a project at our church at Gateway? Or do you have a church home? And if you don't, would you like to come and be a part of our church home and worship God here. And you know what's going to happen when you make that big question happen? It's always going to be awkward, just like it was for Ruth. What will he say? What's he going to say when she asks him to marry him? And guess what, she, guess what he says? Look at this. The Lord bless you, my daughter. This is kindness greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you as you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. That word in the original language is eset hail. On the count of three, everybody say that. One, two, three. That's a woman of noble character. That's what he sees in her. And let me tell you, that's the reason we read Proverbs 31 today. 
That's the reason Jim read that for us. Because the same word is used of the woman in Proverbs 31, a wife of noble character, eset hail. And you know what I love about this? You know what I love about this? It's the same word used about that wife in Proverbs 31. And most women, it's, that's not their favorite scripture in the world. Most women are like, who is this person? Who could be like that? But I love that that same word is used not about a married woman, not about a woman with children, but about Ruth. She is the same as the woman in Proverbs 31. So if you women have ever felt like because you're not married or because you didn't have kids, you couldn't somehow live up to that great character over there in Proverbs 31, not true. Ruth is not a wife. Ruth is not a mother. And yet her character is noble. She is a noble woman. And so regardless, whether you have children or whether you're married or not, your character will tell whether or not you are an esset hale. And why does he call her this? Because she chose him. And that's not necessarily because he's a great catch. He's an older guy. I doubt seriously he's a Sean Connery like I told you last week. She, cho- she could have chosen early, you know, younger guys. But she chose him because she's keeping her word to Naomi. Your, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. What kindness did she show earlier? She said to Naomi, your people will be my people. I'll go where you go. I'll die where you die. Your God will be my God. She says, I'll stay with you. We'll take care of each other. And you know what she's still doing? She's still taking care of Naomi. She's making a choice of an older man that's not necessarily what her desires would be. She's putting Naomi's needs first. This is no Hollywood romance. I'm sorry if that's how you've liked it to be in the past. This is a practical matter of survival and serving her mother-in-law. And here's the last part, and that is the third theme is waiting. She told, her, she told Naomi everything Boaz had done, And she added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty, empty empty-handed. And Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Naomi says to Ruth, wait. It's okay to wait. You know why? Because he is a good man. He's also an esset hale, except it's the masculine form of that word. He's a noble character, and so is she. He's a redeemer. We can trust him. He proved it by sending grain, is what verse 17 says. He said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty. Do you think he might have been remembering what Naomi said when she walked into the village and they said, is that Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. I went away full and God brought me back empty. That's what she said at the beginning. And he says, really, make sure you don't go back empty. You know what's happening? God is turning their lives around because he's the redeemer. And God is still turning lives around today. And as we finish today for just three or four minutes, I want you to hear, I want you to hear from a person in our church whose life has been turned around. You know her, her name is Heather Norton, and she was in jail. And she wrote our church and said, will you be my church family? And we said, yes, we will. And for several months now, since she's been out of jail, she's been a part of our church family. 
She has her fiance, Russ, with her here today. And today is her one-year anniversary of being clean off of drugs. Today. For God. Come on. And I also want to also wanna invite Vicki to come up here. And I want, I want Heather to tell you just a little bit about uh, what God's been doing to redeem her life. And then I want Vicki to say a couple of things because Vicki is her spiritual mentor. We told you that we're pairing up people and they meet once a week to study the Bible and pray together and learn. How, how do I do this? How do I walk this journey that I'm getting started on? So you guys, Heather, come on, and then Vicki. Hi, I'm Heather. Um, a year ago today, I was actually arrested, um, went to jail uh, for trafficking methamphetamines. I weighed 130 pounds and I was just a complete mess. Um, my daily life was full of the seven deadly sins. I mean, that's what I practice daily. Um, after I went to jail, uh, a friend of mine who came to church here, Billy Rodkey, he passed away. And I wrote the church, like uh, John said, and John actually came, John and uh, Mac came and visited me, and the following week, Vicki came and visited me. And when John came, I was just, I was in tears. I cried the entire visit. It was just so emotional for me. Uh, I didn't actually think that, you know, it would really happen. I just, you know, I, it was just something I wanted to throw out there, and uh, God was listening, and John came. And from, from that point on, I, I, you know, I accepted that. I accepted that God was listening, and God cared, and, and that uh, I believe that he actually put me there for my own good. You know, I, I went to jail. God put me there. It was a timeout. I wasn't listening. Um, when, I, when I got out of jail six months later, I came immediately, like the same day I came to church. <laughs> it was, and um, I, I got baptized here, and uh, I've been doing a little bit of volunteer work when I can here. Um, I've been working. I've been staying clean. Every day I wake up, and I'm, I thank God for my new life. Um, I'm getting married to a wonderful man now. Um, I'm doing just so much better. I'm with my kids. Uh, I get to spend every day with them, and that's like a blessing in and of itself. Um, I could go on all day about the many miracles that have happened, but I'm, uh, I'm a completely different person now than I was just one year ago, and God did that for me, and my acceptance of God did that for me, and he can do it for anybody. He really can. Thank you. Um, one of the, I, I mean, first of all, I really enjoyed working with, uh, with Heather, and I just thank God for her and for him putting us together because I really believe that, that this was a divine intervention because not only have I been there for her, but she's also been there for me. Um, one of the things that um, I remember about Heather um, after she got out of jail and after we started meeting together is she texted me one night and said, you know, I went outside and I saw the star, uh, I saw the first star and I was going to uh, wish on that star because that's what I've always done. And she said, but I remembered, I don't need to wish on a star, I have something better. And when she said that, I, I remember it just brought tears to my eyes because she gets it. And, um, and just seeing the joy that she has when we read God's word and the excitement in her voice when she learns something new or 
is just such an inspiration to me and it's so catchy to me you know it's like when you're with somebody that's got so much joy and so much um, excitement about God's word it just makes you feel that way too and so I just I have been truly blessed by her and God is is good And thank you so much, Heather and Vicki. Boaz was their redeemer. But really God was just using Boaz because God is the redeemer. And God is still redeeming people today. He paid the price with his son and he'll use every situation in your life, every situation in your life, if you'll let him, for your good and for his kingdom. And part of that is waiting, waiting like Naomi said. And often waiting includes praying. And so if you need to pray today for a situation that looks empty, would you let us join you in waiting on the Lord? We'll go right to the feet of our Redeemer. We'll go there together with you. So if you need prayer, you come. We're going to stand and we're going to sing.